Hey, it's Josh Carey, the hidden entrepreneur. Why is that? Well, I spent 40 years hiding. That's right, showing up in every situation, hiding my true talent, my true ability in exchange for seeking the approval of others. No more of that. I'm now on a mission to help those do exactly what you've always known is possible. This is how it's done. I'm sitting here with somebody that admittedly I've known for, I would say, 12 plus years. And I can say that because I went back to my email to do a search and found uh, emails from 2009 where I was following him. I was subscribed to his emails and trying to learn every single thing that I can about being an entrepreneur, how to market oneself, how to create the content that you need to. And before we hit record, we were just reminiscing about the days of yesteryear, if you will. It's Yaro Starak, who just goes by Yarrow these days, I understand. How's it going, my man? Good to see you. I'm good, Josh. I'll just call you Josh. I'm well. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well. Um, you you really uh, epitomize the entrepreneur in my mind, least of which, like I said, I was learning from you as I was trying to develop my own brand. Um, I know you've been doing it for 20 plus years at this point. What drew you into the entrepreneur space? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that's trying to avoid something rather than trying to, you know, make something. I feel, especially early on, uh, I was trying to avoid a nine to five job. Mm-hmm. I was trying to avoid having a boss. I was trying to avoid having a cap on my earning potential. Um, I was trying to avoid being like my parents and my friends who are kind of, you know, everyday normal folks. Well, my, my mom wasn't, but, you know, basically financial freedom on my own terms, that that was what I was driven towards. I wasn't sure how that would happen, but I certainly saw based on books I was reading and, you know, articles, newspaper, it was entrepreneurs, uh, maybe property investors too, but certainly entrepreneurs were the ones who seemed to have that control, that freedom. Uh, it's funny how those two words, control and freedom, it's like two sides of the same coin. So that's what I was looking for. And um, that combined with the luck of being 18 years old when it was 1998 and the dot-com boom was happening for the, you know, the very first time. So, you know, I was exposed to so many stories. Obviously, there was the Ebays and the Amazons of the time, but then there was tons of these niche stories about people making, you know, it was a mummy website or, uh, you know, a little e-commerce store, all these stories. So I saw the internet as the vehicle. I wasn't sure the format of a business, but that's how I got my start. You mentioned financial freedom. Was that because you grew up with finances around or without and you wanted to make sure you could live differently uh definitely wanted more than we had i'm not going to say we were we're broke i'd say we're you know middle class um you know we could have a holiday year uh food on the table Um, i often tell a story how when my my mother and father separated they both went into other relationships and my mother um, her, her partner had two sons. So suddenly we had to have more space for kids and we didn't have enough rooms in the house. So my mom and her partner decided to 
get a caravan basically and put it in the backyard and that'll become a third bedroom. And as the eldest of the children, I got first choice, whether I wanted to have a caravan as my bedroom. I was maybe 12 years old at the time. So I thought it was really cool. Uh, I got my own key to my own door. It's like having my own pad. Didn't really think it through though, because I went through a growth spurt. I started hitting my head on the roof. It was terribly hot. And I lived in Australia. So very long summers, um, very noisy. You could hear everything going on outside. So it turned out to be not the best how, like, kind of place to live. And you know, when you get older too, you're 16, 17, thinking about bringing a girl back to your room and it's this small dinky caravan in the backyard. It wasn't the best kind of thing. Um, so there was many nights where I would be lying in the back of my caravan, falling asleep, going, I need to get my own place. I need to be, you know, in charge of my own income. So there was an element of that, not wanting to change my circumstances and, and be more financially secure, independent as well. You've been a digital nomad for decades, really. And you said that at that point in your life, you were in Australia. Was there a lot of movement growing up? Uh, you mean me moving around or just the yeah. entrepreneur? Uh, yeah. Not really. I mean, I have family in Canada. I have this Canadian accent that you might hear. So I certainly traveled to Canada on and off, maybe every third or fourth year, you know, visit grandmothers and aunts and uncles and that sort of thing. Um, but that was purely driven by my parents' decision of when and where we went. You know, it was while I was in school. And when I became sort of 20, 21, 22, I started to travel a little bit more um, on my own, uh, you know, independence. But again, I went to Canada because it was like a safe zone. I knew I knew the place. Um, it really wasn't until my kind of late, mid to late 20s where I actually did some proper digital nomad traveling. But frankly, that was when I had the income to do it. Before then, I didn't, didn't really have it. Your income as a as a quote unquote full time entrepreneur came from your your blogging, your content, right? That was your brand back in the early 2000s. We were talking before we hit record about how you were playing in the circle that I was following your Brian Clark's, Darren Rouse, Gideon Shawwick's. Uh, did you what was the feeling like at that time when you guys were coming up? It's so funny to think back on it. So, you know, I had my first business was this card game website about the game Magic the Gathering. Uh, it was a little e-commerce store and made $500 a month. So it wasn't really life-changing money. While I was in university, I started my first true, true business. Uh, it was an online essay editing company called Better Edit. And that's where I really feel like I made my first full-time income. Not a lot, 30,000, 40,000 a year, you know, in my bank account. And then blogging kind of entered uh, after everybody had those two prior experiences. So, you know, without those two experiences, I didn't have blog content. You know, I lived through growing those businesses. It gave me stories to tell and share on my blog and my, my podcast at the time, too. And then it was strange because I just started telling these stories purely because I'm like, OK, I'm going to get some traffic um, initially for my essay editing company. And then I realized, no, no, I got to do a completely separate standalone blog about entrepreneurship. And that's when entrepreneurs-journey.com was born. And you can tell even with that domain name, it's a terrible domain name, entrepreneurs-journey.com. Who can spell that? It's got a hyphen in it. So my mind wasn't, this is my business. This is my future when I registered that. Uh, and unbeknownst to me, I start growing an audience because I'm actually telling real stories from real businesses. And then... Darren Rose, you know, appears, I, I find his content. And then I find Brian Clark from Copy Blogger. Uh, there was a few others, but those two were the main blogging kind of profile people I knew at the time. Um, and then suddenly it was like, 
that these people doing this thing, like kind of like the dawn of social media um, before Facebook, before Twitter, before YouTube, even really, it was us bloggers with comments on our blogs, interacting in the comments was the social aspect of social media. And then that was suddenly becoming more mainstream. You know, suddenly you've got blogger, uh, Ev Williams starting that, which got sold to Google. Then you got these blog networks exploding. There was Weblogs Inc. Um, by Jason Kalkanis, which sold to AOL, uh, I think it was. Um, yeah, and that became mainstream. So, and then I found myself in this position because I made the choice to sell a course and re release uh, a free ebook called the Blog Profits Blueprint, and basically become a teacher of this subject of of making money through blogging. Um, I didn't see it coming, but I was suddenly an, an expert, so to speak, uh, you know, on this topic. Um, at a time when it was really exploding and it was bizarre to sometimes walk down the street and people would recognize me to be fair i had big long curly hair i stood out like a sore thumb back then you probably remember those those times uh, josh so i certainly had a very you know unusual name unusual hair i stood out like crazy uh and it was a bit of a minor celebrity thing i didn't think much of it but i certainly appreciated the power of a personal brand for marketing. And then I love the fact now I can meet someone like you and you said, you know, I was subscribed to a newsletter all the way back then. So you, you, you really underestimate how many people you connect with globally because you decide to share content. Yeah, there was um, a 10 year gap where uh, you were not in my radar by a long shot. And then I get a random email from your PR agent saying, Hey, would you like Yaro on your show? And I'm like, I, this is a blast from the past. <laughs> like, sure. Let's, of course, I, I, I remember him. That's, that's great. One of the things you said was when you started creating the content for uh, entrepreneur-journey.com, yes. I guess, because without the hyphen, it was already taken at the time. It was. Right? It was. <laughs> so you're like, next best thing. We'll go with the hyphen. Yeah. You said, unbeknownst to you, you started gathering a following is was that just as quote unquote easy as it was you started and then people you, you wake up one day and people are paying attention uh you know it, it was google like let's let's be clear google was probably three or four years old by the time i started my blog it was easier to rank and because blogs were the first time where people were like hey, let's share someone else's article and you know, contribute to the story there by linking to each other. That just fed the, the Google algorithm. So um, it was a, a bit of a golden age, I think, for easy SEO, if you want to call it that. So yes, in the, in the sense that I just wrote articles on a consistent basis. Um, I wasn't a writer. I wasn't an SEO expert to start with. Um, but then like you and I were talking before we hit record, yeah, you read about SEO and it's like, oh, you need to put these keywords in the title page, you know, oh, you need to, you know, get some links back to your content that'll help you rank further. But, you know, that was a part of it. And a part of it was starting an email newsletter. Like that was such a transition for me. Um, you know, I wouldn't probably know you if you didn't subscribe because you might only come across one or two blog posts then disappeared. But because you subscribed to my newsletter, I hit your inbox probably every week, once a week for possibly years. And that was huge. So, um, and I learned that not from the bloggers, that was from the internet marketers, the Rich Sheffrin's, Jeff Walker's, uh, Michael Same, all these kind of early days internet marketers who were using email to launch online courses and software and digital products. So I combined those two things and email became possibly, I mean, I don't like saying it's more important than the blog, but 
they really are a, a one-two punch. You know, one without the other is, is less than half as powerful. So um, that was huge. But really, the, the the way the audience kind of showed up was somewhat of a surprise, but not entirely a surprise because I had seen my card game website had a community. Um, my editing company got half of its new clients from Google rankings. So I knew that these things were tools for growing an audience. I just never saw myself building an audience based on me as a coach, teacher, educator, because I, I, that wasn't on my radar at all. I, I, I had an entrepreneur hat on, not a writer, content creator hat on, but the internet being a content medium, it kind of eventually just happens to you. The business you co-founded is Inbox Done. Before we dig completely into that, what elements from what we're talking about then, you know, 10, 12 plus years ago to now, what marketing and entrepreneur elements are exactly the same and evergreen and still in place? Oh, it's so funny. You know, I, I, what we just said, everything about content and SEO, uh, my company inboxdone.com, it's about four years old now at the end of this year, it'll be four years. And, and I'm the content marketer guy. So um, I have a team, so I'm not the one writing all the content, but I'm certainly the one who's in charge of that. And it's almost exactly the same. It's kind of crazy to think about this because yeah, this is 10 years later uh, from those stories we were just sharing. We're still writing blog posts. We're still trying to generate links. That's why I'm on the podcast tour. I'm trying to get, get exposure for Inbox Done as a service and a company, but also it generates some links, which helps a little bit with your authority, which helps you rank a bit better. Um, we're a very niche service. You know, We're email management for founders and professionals, a virtual assistant company. So that's a very specific search phrase. It's, I need help with my email. That's what people search for. How do I outsource my email? So we try to rank well for those related phrases. Um, so it's almost exactly the same. The difference is the sophistication, I think, that we have access to in terms of information. Now, you know, keyword research tools, uh, you can just go and look at what's, what's up there. Um, you can combine your paid advertising with your organic to kind of figure out what's working for paid. Let's build some content around that. Uh, but it hasn't changed much. I, I tell this to my students who are building new websites. You still need to create content and generate links if you want to rank in Google and get free organic traffic, which is the answer to getting free customers for, I wouldn't say forever, but it's certainly been fairly reliable as a long-term you know, traffic source and certainly is cheaper than you know, an ad budget for pay-per-click or something like that. Although we do that too, just to be clear, we're both paid ads and, and organic. Um, but yeah, hasn't changed much. So the RO from 2009 entrepreneur hyphen journey. <laughs> Stop saying that domain name. <laughs> it hurts me every time. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's why I keep saying it. So the Yaro from that era to now, a lot of the same strategy and technique in terms of marketing seem to be in place. Uh, Inboxdone.com. Uh, I love the idea and concept. Have you found that this is a service where you said the search term is, hey, I need help with my email. Uh, is, is there also an element where you can educate people or you need to educate people who don't know that A, they need this service or that this service actually exists? There's definitely a need for an awareness that the service exists. Uh, it's actually uncanny. My first real business, as I called it, was an essay editing company. And people didn't really think necessarily, oh, I can get my essay edited. Similar now, 
people who are drowning in email are often the founders, the leaders, and they outsource everything else. It's like, I outsource my tech. I outsource yeah. my podcast agency work, you know, a web design, um, everything I think about, except I don't think about outsourcing the thing I probably spend most of my day in, which is my inbox. So a part of it is creating the awareness of the potential. But then there are certain people who are drowning in email and they, they, they are often late up at night. You, you know, you get these bookings for a call at 2 a.m. So, you know, they've been sitting there in Google going, I am spent my entire night doing email. I got to get out of this. And they go to Google and they type, you know, email outsourcing or hire an email virtual assistant or something like that. Um, and then, you know, discover us, whether it's through paid or organic. And the education part of it is definitely smaller than with, say, blog coaching and internet marketing coaching like I used to do, because that's teaching an entire business model and, and an entrepreneurship course in some ways too. you know, sales, copywriting, positioning, all these things that go into having a successful business. Email management is very narrow. It's like, do you have too much email? Get someone else to reply and manage it for you. So there's only so much education we can deliver around that topic. I feel it's more an awareness issue. Like I would love to be talking to as many people as I can about the topic just to create the awareness that the service exists. Yeah, what's amazing is uh, I can almost guarantee that the listener tuning in can use this service. And like you said, has been up too many nights saying, I got to get that inbox in control. And what's that joke that I've seen on social? Like how many unopened Gmail messages do you have? And people will share their, yeah. their app icon with like 13,452 unread emails. And even somebody like me who doesn't really fall into that category, but I'm spending enough time responding to enough emails. My gut reaction is telling me, First, yeah, Yarrow, as much as I'd love to, I just can't wrap my head around. I think it'll be too much work to pass it off. Plus, I don't know, is there a privacy issue here? Can I trust you? How do you respond to these kinds of uh, conversations? Yeah, well, I was that person. Uh, I went through this experience of I'm spending too much time in my email. I couldn't travel. Like I, I'm a digital nomad by heart and I was spending more time managing the email than I was being able to enjoy places I was traveling to. So I said, okay, I've got to hand this over to someone else. But immediately I was just like you said, can someone else do this job as well as I can? Are they going to be seeing things I don't want them to see because of the privacy and, you know, risking sharing information? Um, will this potentially be a, a business killing decision? I, you know, I'll lose all my customers because I will get bad customer support or, or bad lead follow-up, all those questions. So I went through that initially, not as a, you know, hiring a business, I just hired a friend. And over a month, we carefully taught, well, I carefully taught her, here's the kind of email, this is how you deal with it. Um, this is all the variables in my business that relate to this issue. Uh, this is how you communicate. You know, this is how you follow up. If this person emails about our service, let's follow up with them over one or two weeks. Um, you know, here's how you deal with cancellations or refunds or upgrade, upgrade requests. So, you know, it was about just making this person somewhat of a clone 
within my business of what I was doing as the email person. Some of that's uh, not just business as well. For a lot of our clients, for example, it's their personal emails that are coming in. It's, you know, scheduling a, a conference holiday trip, um, making sure that, you know, things are going into the calendar and, and not having conflicts and uh, not doing that back and forth with emails over and over again, trying to book a meeting in, um, even this little basic research tasks to find some information, put it in an email and send it. So a lot of it's just, just getting comfortable with that. So fast forward, my, like I did that once, then I had my coaching business, which we talked about that business grew to the point where I had three email managers managing my inbox because we wanted to have 24 hour support. So they took over everything with that business. And then today we took that whole process of handing over an inbox and made it into a system we teach to all of our staff. So before anyone works with a client, they go through uh, you know, hiring and a vetting. It's actually a 10-stage process. And then they do an internal course with us to learn how to take over a client, how to communicate with them, how to manage the security issues like sharing passwords with LastPass, NDAs for protecting information, you know, contracts, using a VPN for secure access you know, to someone's computer. All these things are put together. And then they come out of all that and then they work in tandem with an experienced inbox manager, you know, with their first client to really get the feel for how this works. So what, what we really feel makes us, I guess, special uh, is the fact that we have this training, this hiring process to get these superior communicators attention to detail. And then we have a way to step into someone like yourself, Josh. So you feel comfortable handing over your email. You go through the process over a month with us and feel that, by the end of it, I've actually somewhat cloned myself. In fact, they're doing the job even a little bit better than I was doing it because I, I wasn't in there every day. I was sometimes slow. I wasn't doing enough follow-up and it's their job five days a week to be in the inbox. So it's turned out to be very replicatable across different industries and you know different clients. And um, it's, it's very gratifying because you're freeing up very talented, very creative people to do the creative tasks rather than sit there in their inbox, or sometimes you're helping them write a book, uh, exercise, spend time with family, all these things you free them up to do because they're no longer doing email. So although it sounds like a simple thing, it, I feel like it's a life-changing service in some ways, not to toot my own horn, but it is fun to sell that. Yeah. And you're not tooting your own horn because as you were talking, I'm, I'm like fantasizing about, well, what would it really look like for me to hand over my email? And I think that I'm not necessarily one of the people that think they spend an exorbitant amount of time in the inbox, but I'm aware I spend a lot of little moments throughout the day. Like I was just thinking like, oh yeah, like my last, I had like probably 20 minutes before this interview from my last meeting. And most of it was spent replying to very, really very simple email scheduling, following up, saying thank you, send it, you know, oh yeah, let's meet, get on my calendar. These are obviously things you guys can do in a heartbeat, let alone even more complex. So I get it. And I, I, I can't imagine what it does for a founder or business person to just have that, have that freedom. Yeah, life-changing, as I said. I hope one day we can help you too, Joshua. When, when you get to that point and you're ready to delegate that task, happy to help. <laughs> yeah, how long does it take to get somebody like me um, out of the picture? 
<laughs> to, to get you out of your own business. Yeah. Uh, you know, we do, we call it a, a handover, like a month to six weeks. Uh, yeah. But we're really just at the point there where we've taken over all your routine common tasks that might be 70% or 80% of what you do in, in your inbox. And there will always be 5% that only Josh can do that only the founder can deal with. And, and we'll make sure that that's kept separate for you. And you know, it's there and, and it's, you know, what's urgent, you know, about as soon as you as soon as it comes in. But over time, we find with a lot of clients, it's like, okay, I feel comfortable they're doing my email. Now I want you to take over a little bit more and, and maybe do a, a bit more high trust activities that I just wasn't ready to hand over. It might be something simple like, yes, you can have access to the PayPal account so you can uh, you know, click a refund button or, or create a new subscription or something like that. Um, the calendar might start straight away or maybe you hand that over after you do email. Uh, sometimes it's like following up. Like this can be a thing where we're actually potentially... I wouldn't call us a sales department, but if you get leads coming in and you're not spending like two or three or four emails, maybe sending a few text messages to potentially get a person to become a customer, and, and that's you doing that right now, you know, we can be the people who do that follow-up as well. There's actually a whole bunch of services. You know, we're, we're VAs, but we specialize in written communications. And ideally, you start to see us as kind of like a, a right-hand man or woman where you're feel comfortable saying you do this, you do that. Actually, can you do this for me as well? Because that's the hardest part. Uh, I went through this, you probably go through it as well. We have ingrained habits. We get up, we open our inbox. That's how we dictate our to-do list for that day. What's in there? Mm. And, and that's not the way to run a business because often the to-do list is, sorry, your email as a to-do list is not a high value activity list. It's not the move your business forward list. So you need to kind of, rejig your habits. And I went through it. It was amazing. I woke up after handing over my email, uh, turned on my computer, went straight to my inbox as I always do. And there were zero emails in there. And I was like, is, is something broken? Like, is my, you know, inbox broken? Forgot, realized, oh no, my inbox assistant had already stepped in, replied to the emails, sorted things for me. And then I was like, okay, what do I do with my day now? <laughs> what is, what's my actual, what's a high value activity I could do now? So imagine so, that. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I don't usually talk about the uh, current state of affairs in the world today on the show, but for somebody like you who prides themselves for decades, right? As a digital nomad, you traveled. Um, what, how have you made do these, uh, these past months and years? Well, you know, you, you travel vicariously through Instagram photos rather than you actually travel. Um, you know, to be fair, I, I did, and I'm about to go to Austin for a conference. I'll be at FinCon for anyone. If this gets published in time, probably won't, but just in case. Um, so that's my first like USA trip in at least two years. I don't think yeah. I've been, I was in Hawaii just before COVID hit. Hmm. So that was my last trip. Um, it's not bad because I'm well aware that to be the most productive, staying in one place helps. You know, waking up with everything in place. My filming equipment for podcasts is here. I don't have to think about booking, a, you know, my, my accommodation, travel. Where am I going to go next? Um, I just do work. Where when you're traveling, it's like, well, I'm in a new city. I want to have some fun. I want to make sure my day is varied. So it's a little less productive in general. Um, so it hasn't been terrible, but you know what it's like, you get itchy feet, you want to see new things. Um, 
you know, there's only so many years in a life and the world's pretty big. So, you know, you've got to, got to get out there and see things. So I'm looking forward to it, double vaxxed now. So, you know, get out there and, and see more. But one thing I think this COVID um, experience has changed, as we probably all agree, is the idea of doing what we already do, which is work remotely, work digitally. It's normal. It's expected. It's, it's commonplace. So mm. the great thing about that is the support services and the, the simple things like the tax structures and the visas for entering other countries, um, you know, co-working spaces, co-living spaces, it's now like this mainstream thing. So more and more of these things are going to pop up, which makes it easier for people who are already digital nomads like, like us. I don't know how much you travel, Josh, but you can then, you've got kids, so a little less, mm -hmm. less easy, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. you can do that so much easier compared to say 20 years ago when I was trying to control things on a Blackberry and also jumping in and out of internet cafes, no Airbnb, no VRBO, expensive hotels, expensive flights, um, no co-working spaces, maybe internet cafes was it. So very, very better now in terms of um, support facilities. The nature of the show uh, revolves around fear and taking action in spite of it. Uh, I'd love to focus on the past decade or two of your life uh, as we've been talking about. Can you identify a time where you were scared out of your mind to take action and you knew it could have left you shivering in the corner or do what you do best and take action in spite of it? Yeah, I always think back to the first seven-ish years from like 18 years old to 25, um, not just because of my age, but because of my business maturity as well, like what I was trying to do to, to earn a living. You, let's face it, we make higher stress decisions when we have less income. And I was trying to get to a full-time income from all the various things I was doing at the time. And because of that, I was much more... Um, a, lacking self-esteem, B, lacking consistency, more likely to look at my peers and feel like I want to jump ship. For example, I had a, an entrepreneurial friend who was doing something with uh, pay-per-click marketing like Google ads. And, you know, my business might have been doing okay, 500 a month, one month, a thousand the next. I'm not sure if it's going to pay my bills going forward. Will it ever get bigger? I should stop doing this and do what my friend is doing. But then, of course, completely different skill set. And we know like shiny object syndrome. We've all heard of that where you jump from one business idea or, or one business model to the next. And, and that comes from just not being necessarily clear on where you're going, really committing to it, um, comparing yourself to others too much. And all those things I did. And it wasn't until I was 25 and, you know, I'd probably finally put $100,000 in my uh, of income from my business away. I had a little bit more confidence, felt a little bit more clear on my direction and my capabilities. Actually, it's when I started blogging too. That's also, you know, reinforces that people are learning from you saying you're helpful. Um, so there was, there was a lot of sleepless nights though before that just you know, will I ever make enough money to, to survive doing this, let alone thrive? Um, am I choosing the wrong business? Um, everyone else seems to be doing better than I'm doing. So what's wrong with me? All those typical thoughts. And it took a while to get mm. past it and it took a lot of experience. And, you know, like you talk about self-development, personal development, I read more books on like positivity, Martin Seligman with, you know, learned optimism, um, so many other books around that time around entrepreneurship, mindset, productivity, just to fortify myself because I didn't have that inside me, needed to look externally um, to kind of reinforce these ideas 
almost like a religious belief that something will succeed versus now where it's like totally relaxed, walk the path, um, enough money in the bank to not be stressed about that, can choose options based on what's inspiring and exciting to me, not just what I need money for the next month rent kind of decision. So it's a very different place to get to. I wish everyone would get to that place. Unfortunately, most nine to five career type jobs, you never really get to that place because you're only living paycheck to paycheck. To paycheck. But um, you know, it, it, as a dream for everyone to have that kind of financial comfort to then make choices based on what you're excited about, that, that's living the dream, you know, honestly. And, and that, that took a while to get there. Don't a significant amount of entrepreneurs not work in the nine to five also struggle to get there? Yeah, I think that's, as we know, like the, the failure rates are definitely higher than the success rates with, with business. Um, and, and I wish I could solve that problem, you know, with the click of my finger, but there's so many things, there's mindset, there's education around business models. Um, there's just personality types. Some people I don't think are the right type of personality to be a sort of lone leader of a company and they have to fill the gaps, whether it's with partnerships Maybe it's not having a business at first and it's working for another entrepreneur to kind of figure things out and get more comfortable with it. So there's a different path for everyone, but um, you know, you've got to go through the dark periods to find the light, as they say. And I know you've been through your own changes and with your own business models. So you know what that's like. What is next for Yarrow? I know you're, you're squarely in inbox done right now. Where do you go five, 10, 20 years down the road? You know, a lot of it depends on where everything I'm focused on now leads to. Um, you know, I've got some angel investments. They can go to zero or they could be, you know, huge life-changing amounts of money. Inbox done, it's a solid business right now, but how much bigger does it get? Do I eventually exit somehow? Um, not, you know, that's always a little bit un unknown as well. Uh, I know one thing, I definitely like the variety right now and I love both having a business that runs uh, without me in many ways, as Inbox Done does, but also feeling like I'm part of the conversation as we are in a conversation right now. You know, it's nice to still interact with people, talk about business, talk about technology. So I, I feel like I don't think it will change dramatically to what I'm doing now. The only difference is if things really do explode and, and at some point you reach a point where you're like, I need to use my money, not just to pad my own investments and bank account and start diverting more to simply doing things that improve the lives of others for that reason only. Um, and that happens, I think, when I mean, it can happen straight away. It always happens to a little bit. We're all probably tithing and giving away some money at some point. But I think there's like a, a switch where you go from, I need to feel 100% comfortable about my financial situation. Everyone's different. Some people won't feel that way until they have $100 million in the bank account, which is you know probably too much. Um, versus say maybe you're happy when you've got 5 million in the bank and now you can go, okay, I'm going to spend the rest of my life building projects or doing things that are not just about padding that bank balance and, and solving a problem you really care about. Um, I'm in solar right now. I have a, a solar power plant in Ukraine that I, I built with um, the proceeds of cryptocurrency uh, profits. So did not see that coming, but it was an opportunity that I was like, wow, this is cool. I can get into a physical, environmental, and it's in Ukraine, which is my father's homeland something I never thought would happen. I just ended up traveling there and, and meeting someone, the right connections happened, the right timing happened. I was like, actually, it feels really good to do something physical and tangible, not a digital business in an environmental space. So, you know, could go further down that path. I don't know. Absolutely amazing. 
uh, the person listening, they go to inboxdone.com. What's the first thing they do? What steps do they take? Uh, if you're already excited, just book a discovery call and you'll get to speak to me. I'm, I'm currently the call book discovery call person. So we'll have a chat about whatever you are concerned about with handing over email and other related virtual assistant type tasks. We can go over where you're at, what you want to hand over, what you're concerned about. And then if you're ready to get going, we'll just match you with a couple of inbox managers from our team and uh, we'll start taking over your email. But inboxdone.com is the place to, to read all about it. And if you do want to dive into the old content, it's I still have the blog and, and my own podcast. So that's uh, yarrow.blog now, no longer entrepreneurs-journey.com. It's Y-A-R-O dot B-L-O-G. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely perfect. My old new friend, 12 years later, Yaro Starak. Thank you, sir, for coming back across the radar, spending some time and continuing the amazing work. Thank you for having me, Josh. I appreciate it. Hey, you made it to the end of the episode. Doesn't it feel great to start something and finish it? I love that feeling. Here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to my website, joshcarry.com slash podcast, and let me know exactly what you loved most about this episode. What did you learn? What did you discover? What are you going to do next? And I'm going to send you a free gift as my way of saying thanks. I appreciate you taking your time to tune in today. We'll do it again soon.